listening to a Clovis Hills podcast. You're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Good morning, Clovis Hills. So good to be back with you. Uh, We're hoping uh, sometime next uh, month or maybe just slightly beyond, we're going to be able to gather back in the building. But for now, I just wish you a a happy new year. And it's going to be a great, it's got to be a better year than 2020. Wouldn't you agree? It's got to be better. You know, as I came and got ready for this message, I'm still very aware of the suffering that goes on all over the world. Now, COVID is bringing on its own form of suffering, and there's other things like that. But going through prayer requests uh, here at our church, I saw a a family that uh, the husband separated, and they're not sure how they're going to pay, at least the wife's not sure how she's going to pay all the bills, and it's like, oh my goodness. You know, there's, I want to talk about that, that thing that causes us to participate in suffering to make it worse. In other words, there, there, there's tragedies like coronavirus. Uh, now, all, all suffering comes from sin, ultimately. Uh, the original sin that caused God just to sort of turn this universe loose and it's sort of spinning on its own. But So something like coronavirus will come about. And uh, uh, you know, it's been worse before the Black Plague, I was told, in Europe in 1349 killed uh, somewhere around a third of the population of Europe, which is enormous. So as bad as it is, it's not that bad. But though there's tragedy, there's also what I would call kind of a sinful way to make suffering worse that you and I do to each other, that choices I make that make my own suffering worse and sometimes choices I make that make others' suffering worse. And this is kind of the crux of what Jesus has called us to. You see, he stepped into history to rescue us from our sin. And uh, some of us think it's all about just having our sins forgiven. But he has also put us on a mission to spread his love and make suffering less wherever we can. And I want to talk about that. Now, let me tell you what triggered my thoughts on this message. I'm studying kind of a clinical psychologist and some stuff he's written and put together uh, about, uh, about suffering, but more specifically about evil. That is to say, when people participate to make the sufferings of others worse. And uh, he's using uh, years of working in counseling situations with clients. So he's, he's seen that kind of suffering and he sort of identified elements in that. And then he's also studied kind of the more evil people in the world, like Adolf Hitler or uh, what's uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who did not cause the suffering, but wrote about the suffering caused by the communists in Russia in a book called uh, The Gulag Archipelago. And he's tracked these different, you know, huge negative people that would be like obvious. Something's desperately wrong there. There's some evil there. And in the midst of me learning about this, here's what he said that just sort of like, whoa, that, that, and I grabbed hold of it. So he said, being, I'm going to give you three things, resentful, arrogant, and deceitful constitute the core elements of evil. And if you're possessed by them, your own personal life will be hell to pay. So for instance, 
Why would Hitler have six million Jews uh, extinguished, killed, murdered? Because he resented their being there. He, he, he was angry at what he thought they had done. And, and anyway, you could go on and on and on. What, what causes the, the, the pain in a marriage to break up? Well, two people over time, they, they, they buy into the resentment that you've wounded me and you've hurt me. And, and then eventually it just sort of hardens. And I sort of thought about those things. And I want to make that kind of the, the organizer. Now, it's not a biblical organizer. So I, I looked in the Bible like, well, does resentful, is it talked about anywhere in the Bible? And largely, most translations do not. But when I did a concordance study, the English Standard Version in 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is not resentful. Therefore, the kind of the, the first point that, that I want to get to. Uh, love is not resentful. Now, let me read you. I'm going to read just parts of this. You, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, you know, that uh, if you don't love, you're really just, you're nothing. You're, you're, you're wasting your life, and it'll be empty and void. But then it begins to define what would love look like. And I'm not even going to look at all of those. I'm just going to, just a slice out of this thing. So here's uh, verse 5. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. <laughs> I have to crack up. Sometimes at Christmas time, all of those things I just read become evident because there's just too much to do. I want it my way. You know, you're going to have it at my house this year. No, no, I'm going to have it at her house. I'm, you never let me to. Oh, just, you know, they go on and on and on. Or the kids get going. And then irritable. Hmm, irritable, yeah. And then resentful, basically, if you don't get your way or everybody's not cooperating. But what I want you to see, this clinical psychologist identified resentful as, one, as a core element in evil hearts. So I had to look, well, if the English Standard Version translates this as resentful, and I don't remember seeing it before, what do the other translations say about it? So I went to uh, the New International Version to sort of see, like, help me tease out where that, what, what, what is the definition there. And it says, love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So this idea of keeping no record of wrongs, the English Standard Version translators decided that, that the better word would be resentful. Let, let me tell you why I think that is. I never thought about this. When I think of keeping no record of wrongs, I'm in my head. I'm not in my heart or my feelings. Keeps no record of wrongs. It just feels like kind of a, yeah, we should keep no record of wrongs. But what the English uh, Standard Translation people uh, are trying to get across is, when I do keep record of wrongs, I get angry, I get bitter, I get resentful. So it has an, it, they've chosen a word that brings the emotional sting out in it. And I thought, oh, now that's everywhere in life. That's from Hitler, it's in families that are dissolving, or in small ways it could be just families when we're not living in love that we're resentful to one another. <laughs> one guy told me, 
He said, had a, had a big fight with my wife, and she just wouldn't see it my way, and I got so frustrated. And he's a Christian guy. He said, I just got in my car, and I was going to show her. I was just going to take off. So he got in his car and started driving around. And he said, after about a half hour, he cooled down, and he got bored. Like, what are you going to do? Uh, he said, I can't go back to the bars anymore. I, 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 you know, I've come to Christ. So he, he went back home, and uh, came back in the house, and <laughs> again, wounded his pride because nobody even knew he was gone. Uh, resentment is a lot like that. We get angry at what others have done that's unfair or they hurt me. And the only person getting hurt a lot of times is the person who is swallowing the resentment. So the Bible says love, God's love and God's kind of love that Christ is teaching us is not resentful. I, and I kind of like that. I think that kind of helps us. So just definitions here. What is resenting me? What does resenting someone mean? It means to dislike or be angry at someone because you have been hurt or not treated fairly, i.e. the remembering the wrongs that they've done. Those who experience resentment may also harbor a desire for revenge. Uh, Psychology Today article uh, about three years ago asked the question, can a relationship recover from resentment? And here's what they said. One thing you can be sure of is that if you don't try to address the resentment, it won't go away by itself. By the way, every broken marriage falls into a common, I resent you and you resent me. I've been hurt by you and you've been hurt by me, but I only focus on the parts about me. And then when resentment gets bad enough, it'll, it'll tear you apart. The article went on to say, resentment is a cancer that metastasizes and eventually makes it impossible for a healthy relationship to survive. So then I was asking, well, if the Bible doesn't usually use the word resentful, what words is it using for something that's so common? And here's what it dawned on me. The emotional element of resentment is anger or bitterness. So let me, let me read you, uh, and by the way, I could have gone anywhere in the Bible because this is all over the place because it dominates the lives of so many people. It creates suffering and it makes suffering worse. It makes my suffering worse, and it makes yours worse. Here's, here's what uh, Ephesians 4.31 says. Get rid of all bitterness. Just get rid of it. This is the, the, the Christian prescription. Even if Christ is in your life, you need to get rid of bitterness, all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. You know, there's more than one way to be malicious. One way is to attack and be angry. Another way is to withdraw and say, I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. Uh, you're out. Both hurt just the same. So what does the Bible say we should do? Rather than keeping a record of all the ways I've been hurt or wronged by someone or something, what should I do? Here's what it says. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And sometimes we miss this part. We think that the Christ came so that we could have our sins forgiven only so that we could go to heaven. And it has no application in our everyday lives. That's wrong. The key to uh, manifesting the love of Christ that you receive when you have forgiveness of sins is you've got to be a forgiver of others. You know you've needed forgiving. And so you have to learn to not be resentful, to let go of past faults. Uh, to, I, I would say this, to hold on to resentment is to allow evil to rent space in your heart. 
You know, I was talking to one uh, young woman, and she said uh, her husband, when they get into a fight, which isn't all the time, but when they get into a fight, he does not fight fair. He will bring up stuff that she's done from the first time she met him or even reveal stuff about her life before him. He will bring up a laundry list of everything that's gone wrong. Now, the problem with that is he's intent on winning the argument, not winning the relationship. So love, if I could just say it again, I'm trying, this is the one point I'd like you to get. Love is not resentful. It doesn't behave like that. Because if I love you and I want to make my life better and I want to make your life better and I want to make our life better, I've got to forgive. And I've got to let go of keeping a list of all the ways in which you've hurt me. That, that's just it. And, and I think that's very, very useful. So resentment was one of the things that clinical psychologists mentioned. Another was arrogance. Uh, so I would say this, number two, love is not arrogant. He said, where do you get that? Same place. 1 Corinthians 13. Here's what it says. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love is not arrogant or rude. Hmm. So, so what, what is arrogance? Well, to be arrogant is to be behaving as if you are more important than others or, and including, that you, you know more than others or your opinion should weigh more, more heavily. You know, when you're arrogant, you almost can't be talked out of any of the things you hold because you feel like you're at the top of the genius pile, and you know and everybody else doesn't. Now, here's one of the unique things about, about humankind. We're created in such a way that all of us, when we're in an argument, have the tendency to believe that I know and the other person needs to change. So how does, how does that relate with evil? <laughs> An evil person has to believe that they are right and the rest of the world needs to work around them. See, you, you really can't get anywhere. You can't grow. Th that's where Hitler can just think he, he's got it. Or, or the guard in those prisons in Russia at the time. And you could just go anywhere in history. You've got to believe that you know and what you want is more important. And, and you can actually make other people's lives more painful. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Now here's what the Bible says about knowing. It says knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And that's just, we need to get a hold on that. If winning the argument was the key to relationships, we wouldn't have many relationships. Because when I think I know what, what I do, it just makes me, it puffs me up. So I, I, I have all these defenses against learning anything. Whereas love causes me to dial it back and be open. So what do you do if you have an arrogance problem? By the way, the people who have arrogance problems, don't, they're the last people to know. Hello? One way, I know you won't do this and maybe you shouldn't do this, but if you're pretty sure you don't have an arrogance problem, you ask your loved ones. You don't even have to key on what they say. Just listen to the silence while they figure out whether they want to tell you the truth or it's not worth it. I'm just saying. So, 
How do you, what do you do with it? I love this verse. Here's, what, here's God's word about this. Humble yourselves, says the Bible, therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So how are you supposed to get over arrogance? <laughs> this is funny. You're supposed to humble yourself. Don't wait for circumstances to humble you because that's always more expensive to your ego. We have to humble ourselves. We have to dial it back. We have to open up that maybe the person I'm talking to knows something also that might enrich. And the more you can know where the, where the wounds or the, the tenderness, in you, like in a spouse or a friend is, it, if, can you be trusted with that information or are you going to use it to attack later? If you will humble yourself and learn, then you can learn how to love them more carefully. You have to let go of it. Uh, I got this one, uh, <clears throat> I just want to read it to you. It's, it's, it's a quote I found online somewhere. The proper way to fix the world isn't to fix the world. There's no reason to assume that you're even up to such a task. <laughs> I like that. But you can fix yourself. You'll do no harm by doing just that, but you'll do no harm by fixing yourself. And in that matter, at least, you'll make the world a better place. This is what the Bible is saying. You know, many people are resentful even of the way the world is, is so full of tragedy or, you know, that there's evil out there in the world. And, uh, you know, I, that's a form of resentment. If you're filled with that and you believe that you've, you've studied all the wisdom of the world, then you might, that, that's how people become atheists. They, they, they don't want God anymore and they think they know it all by knowing one thing, that there's evil in the world. Now, why didn't God do something about it? Here's, here's a suggestion. God has done something about it. He sent his son to begin to bring love and light into a dark world. And knowing that the rest of the world is all messed up is like knowing, it doesn't, that, like everybody knows that. The question is, what are you going to do to make this a better world in spite of its darkness? Don't use the darkness to explain away the fact that you're not loving become a part of Christ's family by receiving his love and his forgiveness and then give, beginning to give away that. But to do that, you have to humble yourself. Now, let me, just, you, let me tease that out. To humble yourself, is the, it, it's the same as repenting. It's changing your mind about whether maybe there's other information or knowledge in the world you haven't taken in yet. Maybe God's smarter than me. And if you, if you will humble yourself, you can get out of the situations you're in. Let me say it one other way. Uh, my wife and I, uh, this time of year, uh, several, several years ago, we were in Scotland and we got to spend the night in one of those ancient 1,000-year-old castles. And it, it, was, it was so cool. They partied inside, snowed outside. Uh, had our own little bedroom, and you realized how much wind blows through. You know, the, the windows weren't sealed like they would be in your house. And uh, one of the things they showed us was the uh, kind of the dungeon area, which was you go down to the kind of the bottom floor, and then you lift up a, a door, and then there's a set of stairs that would take you down to the dungeon. Now, the dungeon was, you know, dark, damp, wet, uh, it would just be, it was cold, freezing cold. It would be a terrible place to be locked. But what caught my attention is when they closed the lid above us, 
I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And here's how I would like to extend a Christ invitation to you. Many of us are trapped in our own dungeon because we won't let go of our resentments. We won't let go of our list of ways in which either the world isn't what it ought to be or this person isn't what they ought to be. And as long as you're filled with resentment, there's no room left in your heart for God's love because love is not resentful. Well, how do you get out of that kind of self-imposed dungeon? You humble yourself. That, that's the key to getting out. So let me bring you to the last point. Love is also not deceitful. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. So what's the truth about us? Here's what 1 John 1.8 says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. What's that saying? All of us have room for growth, and we need God's help. So if we claim to be without sin, like, I don't need that, that Christian stuff, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So what's the solution? If we confess our sins, He, the God uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Would you like to get out of your dungeon of resentment? It's real simple. You simply admit it. You simply confess it. We go to a loving God. And you say, how do you know he's a loving God? There's really only one way, and that's by looking at the cross of Christ. That God would send his only son and allow him to die so you wouldn't have to is the ultimate expression that he's on your side. And he came to rescue us from our self-imposed dungeon of darkness created by our own anger or bitterness or resentment. And he wants to let you out. And the key is to humble yourself enough to hear it and be open to it, and then just admit that you're not sure how to overcome a lifetime worth of nursing resentments and being angry at people. You, some of you wouldn't even know who you were if you didn't have somebody to be angry at or tell gossip stories about to somebody else. But Christ is inviting you. And it's real simple. Just admit it. Admit that you need help and confess it to him. And then say, Lord, would you come into my life? Send your Holy Spirit. And would you help me to grow in the truth of the gospel so I won't remain trapped in resentment in a loveless life for the rest of my life? I invite you. There's some of you uh, right now online that you know that you need Christ and that Christ is calling you. That you, you know you need to let go of the stuff, the wounds that you nurse and the stories that you tell yourself. It'll go nowhere. But if you take that pain to Christ, he can absorb the pain on the cross, even absorbing your sin and your causation of making the suffering worse for yourself and for others. And that's exactly what he does. Uh, I want to read you one last verse. Jesus replied to a group of people, you are in error, you're all messed up, because you either don't know what the scriptures say about the love of God and the ways of Christ to get out and to, to draw that love inside and to let go of the past, 
or you don't know the power of God who can take even your suffering and work it together for good. I want to invite you to pray with me right now. If you would like to get out of the the dungeon of self-imposed darkness into the light of God's love and grace, we all know this is a, a world that's kind of messed up and has suffering that's going on at all kinds of levels, but there's nothing says you and I have to make it worse by our choices. Maybe we should let go of and get rid of the, all the bitterness and, and stop keeping records of how everybody's wounded us. Maybe we should humble ourselves to be open to God's solutions and then just confess that we too have been sinners in need of a Savior. Would you pray with me right now?